in the midst of threats of war in the Middle East, growing tensions at our southern borders, political parties intent on war rather than compromise. Here we are in church on Sunday morning talking about making peace. Perhaps it's a bit audacious to do so. We're nearing the end of our sermon series this uh, first part of the summer on the themes that our youth are exploring at church camp uh, this uh, summer. Uh, The series, uh, we've called it Peace Works. So the whole idea, the concept behind the whole thing is different ways to approach peace. And each uh, week we've looked at a different word coming from a different culture, Ubuntu, Shalom, Agape. And now a word that I guess just comes from English, uh, though it's a word that may be more foreign than all the other words to us, peacemakers. A couple of weeks ago, Marty talked to us about Shalom, that Hebrew word that means often translated peace, but means this bigger concept of wholeness, this way the world uh, should be, that God created the world to be, that shalom. And this week we're picking up off that theme, but taking it a step further. Because to make peace happen, God needs people. God needs us. You and I, we are God's peacemakers. Now the scripture that uh, we just uh, heard this morning, it's a familiar one, one you've probably heard before. I thought I for sure had preached Uh, On this text here, uh, it's so familiar, but I went back, and unless I'm forgetting something, I'm sure you are too, I don't remember ever preaching. uh, It was nowhere. I had no sermon on the Good Samaritan, so I had to write a new one. I mean, it was kind of sad. It's so familiar. But in the midst of its familiarity, perhaps it has lost its shock value. Now, the story that Jesus tells, this parable we often forget, is the response to a test, a test that this lawyer brings to him, this this guy who kind of thinks he's smarter than Jesus. And I believe he's the kind of person that asks a question that he believes he already knows the answer to. But he's trying to see if Jesus knows the right answer. The lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life in those days could mean life in the hereafter, after you die, but it's also a concept that's much richer than that. It's the kind of life that is good now. What can I do to have a fulfilled life? That's what he's asking. A life that is eternal, that is full of goodness now and later. The lawyer wants to know if Jesus knows his stuff. What advice will this rabbi, this teacher give for a living the eternal right kind of life right now? And Jesus responds like, well, like those annoying teachers often respond. He asks a question to answer a question. Jesus is always doing this. Well, what should you do to inherit an eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He asks him. And the lawyer, who should know these things, is now being tested. Well, 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 and he recites the Shema, the saying that they learned in, 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 when they were kids as little Hebrew children. The saying that is said to sum up the entire law and prophets. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, strength, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the answer he was taught as a young child. And Jesus says, well, that's the answer. You just answered your own question. Go and do it. But the man, this lawyer, doesn't like the simplicity of that answer. He studied for a long time for his uh, ancient law degree. It should be more complex than this, Jesus. 
And so he asked one more question. The question that prompts the parable. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Well, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, for the Jews, the answer to that question would never, ever, ever have been a Samaritan. Samaritans were not neighbors, though their countries were right next to each other. They were seen to be worthless, lowly. They had a long history of teaching. Even in scripture, you can find passages that tell us the the scandalous origin of the people of Samaria. They would not go through that country if they could avoid it, even if it meant a much, much longer trip. They were different. They were other. They had all kinds of notions about these dirty Samaritans. Don't associate with them or you'll become like them. They just didn't do things right. They were mean. They worshipped God, they claimed, and claimed Abraham as their ancestor. But they had other, other, uh, other customs, other traditions. They had another temple, another holy hill, not Jerusalem. They were no good. Don't trust a Samaritan. But in Jesus' story, it is a good Jew who's beaten on the side of the road, the road that leads from Jericho to Jerusalem, the road that would take pilgrims from the city of Jericho all the way to Jerusalem to worship. And this man is probably leaving temple worship or showing up to worship at the temple. He's a holy Jew, a good Jew going to worship. And on the way he passes, he's, or he's beaten up by robbers who hide in those cliffs in Palestine, the easy target as you walk along this road. They come and they beat him up. They steal everything he has and leave him for dead. Jesus says a priest walks by, probably himself going to the temple to perform his priestly duties, but he keeps walking. He sees the man. He knows this is a good Jew, but I got things to do. He keeps walking. A Levite, a holy, holy man walks by. He keeps walking. He sees the man. He knows he needs help, but he keeps walking. Under any interpretation of the word neighbor, under any answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The answer most certainly would have been this Jew. He's a fellow Jew. He's a holy Jew. They should stop. He's in need. But the holiest of the holies cross the road and go about their holy business. And then... Jesus continues the story. A Samaritan crosses by. What's a Samaritan doing on this road? He's the other. He's the foreigner. He's the one who should have been beaten up and left for dead. The religious minority, the racial minority. For us, substitute whatever words you want. He's a Muslim. He's an undocumented immigrant. He's an Iranian, a North Korean. He's that person who was your bully in high school. He's a Republican. He's a Democrat. He's a Libertarian. He's a he's a millennial. He's whatever it is that you don't like or trust or want around. There he is. And he walks by. He's the worthless. He's not the neighbor. And what does he do? Now, I told this story to junior campers this summer and ask him after the, the Levite, you know, did the Levite stop to help? Yes, yes, yes. No, the Levite didn't stop. And I asked him, did the, did the uh, priest stop to help? And they said, yes, yes, that's what, that's what priests do. No, no, the priest didn't stop to help. Did the Samaritan stop to help? And the kids answered correctly the way that Jesus' hearers would have answered, no, 
they got it. And I told him, yes, he's the one who stopped. No one would have expected this twist in Jesus's story that's so familiar to us because that's not the way their world worked. Everyone knew Samaritans hated Jews just as much as Jews hated Samaritans. Now, Jesus's story, it's shocking, but does it answer the question? The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story that ends, well, with another question, being the annoying teacher he is. So who was the neighbor? The question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus' question back to the lawyer is, who was the neighbor? And the answer is obvious, yet the lawyer can't even say the Samaritan. He answers the one, the, the, the one, that, that, that guy at the end who showed mercy. He was the neighbor. And Jesus replies, go and do likewise. You want to inherit eternal life, Jesus says? Be like the Samaritan. Be the neighbor. Who should we be kind to? Who do you owe love to? Whom should we care for? Whom should we help? Who is our neighbor? Jesus says those are all the wrong questions. The right question is who is being a neighbor? Who are you being the neighbor? No discrimination to the undocumented, the foreigner, the stranger, the one you don't like, the one you don't trust, the one you were raised to not like. To the outcast, the other, Jesus says, we don't ask if they are our neighbor. We just be a neighbor every time to everyone. And Jesus's point could not be clearer. Now, what does this have to do with making peace? Well, it's kind of hard to be at war with someone when Jesus calls us to see everyone as their neighbor. It's a simple message. If you've ever had that kind of a neighbor living right beside you, it's hard sometimes, even with our neighbors, to make peace. Peace takes practice. Peace takes action. We've been watching as a family this Netflix show called Nailed It. Anybody seen Nailed It? Uh, It's a baking show, but it's unlike most baking shows. It's this uh, professional uh, bakers who bake all this really pretty stuff and cakes and pastries and all this very complicated stuff. But the people who are competing are not celebrity chefs or junior chefs or really any kind of chef. It's just a grandma from the south with a really thick accent who likes to bake at home and bake some cakes but has never done anything this complicated. And, and some, some woman or man who thinks they're okay but cannot bake at this level. And they show them what to do and they have to model it and then they go to work. And you know what happens. It kind of goes awry. The, 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 the cake with this beautiful face kind of looks like this scary monster and the cake falls over and the jelly-filled donut pops or doesn't have enough jelly in it. It all kind of goes wrong, but every so often they say on the show, they nailed it. They got it right, or kind of right. The picture wasn't quite like what they were supposed to be painting, but it's close enough. We can see the resemblance. And I got to thinking that, well, that's kind of how it is with making peace in the world. Here we have Jesus, this story, this example of the way it should be. And often we are overwhelmed by the task. It is so 
hard with so much in our world that goes wrong to make peace. It's so hard to nail it. But peace takes time. Peace takes work. Practice. We fail and we keep at it. We keep going. We learn from those around us and we try again. We fail and we keep trying until we nail it. Peace requires action. It's not just prayers and hopes. It's not a hand sign. It's not wishful thinking. It's something we do. We have to do. It's like a, like a song that takes time to learn and to write that you perfect over the years. A song that develops and changes and you, 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 you change the lyrics as you get older. You tweak the melody. You get better and better at it. Now, this week we celebrated the 4th of July, a holiday that was born out of war, a celebration at the, of the end of war, of conflict and the peace of a new nation. I read this week a story about the British side of the conflict, which we don't often hear about, that they had a a lively debate in Britain over whether or not this war was even a good idea. Many saying it would cost too much. It would be uh, we lose too many lives. Just just let them have their independence. Just be done with it. Many were against it, some for it. And yet the hubris of the empire demanded that these colonists could not challenge their power. And so they went into a fight that they knew they probably shouldn't be in and that they lost. A lesson for all empires and all who struggle with hubris. In the midst of that conflict... In a moment, uh, sorry, in a, in a moment, we're going to sing uh, the tune of an old patriotic song, a song that wasn't written in the midst of that conflict. But later, during the Civil War, there was this tune, this song known as John Brown's Body. As the story goes, a group of Union soldiers had a man in their troop named John Brown. And they were ragging him, well, you can't be John Brown because John Brown is dead. John Brown had been a well-known abolitionist who had had been outspoken against slavery, a hero to the anti-slavery Union soldiers, and he was killed. The friendly ragging of the fellow soldier, you can't be John Brown. John Brown is dead. They started singing a song to kind of taunt the living John Brown. John Brown's body lies a moldering in his grave. His soul still marches on. They borrowed the chorus of a famous slave song on Canaan's happy shore. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His soul is marching on. And John Brown's body was born a popular folk song that the soldiers would sing. It would be changed from troop to troop. The verses that we know were expanded from each different Union regiment. Well, one day a poet named Julie Ward Howe was traveling in Washington, D.C. with a group that included her minister, the Reverend James Clark. And during a presentation of the Union soldiers uh, in D.C., they were kind of having a, a military processional for the visitors. John Brown's body was sung. And Reverend Clark leaned over to Howe and told her, you need to write some new lyrics to that song. I don't know if he just didn't like it or liked the tune, but didn't think it was one that could be sung broadly. Well, that night she woke up abruptly from her sleep and wrote the lyrics to what we know now as the battle hymn of the Republic. Those verses, all but one of her original verses, were published in the Atlantic magazine, and then one of our most popular patriotic songs was born. It made its way into its hymnal, into our hymnals, because it's a catchy tune. Glory, glory, hallelujah. It sounds like a good church song. Let's be honest. It's not a good church song. It's a war song. 
It's a song with a whole lot of imperial hubris. A song that declares that God is on our side. God is trampling out his wrath against our enemies. A stirring tune, eh, but some questionable theology. But this song has a long history of being adapted from old slave song to a union folk song to a patriotic song. The song's been used for various causes. Different people have claimed this song as their own. It's been sung by white supremacists as they marched against blacks with torches in hand. But it was a song that was quoted by Dr. King in his very last sermon. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. A few years ago, a disciples music director in Seattle, Heidi Blythe, took that old hymn It was in her hymnal, in her own chalice hymnal, in her church, at the University Christian Church in Seattle. And she wanted to sing it. It's a great tune, but it didn't seem quite appropriate for Sunday morning. And so she tweaked the song, wrote new words like they did with John Brown's body, new words that point us to the heart of peace. We sang it a few weeks ago at the We Are Church Confessing uh, gathering that Tim Diebel led us in and introduced us to to these verses. There are four verses we're singing three today. The second verse cuts right to the heart of the gospel and to the challenge of making peace. I've read a fiery gospel of unmitigated love of a Christ who is within, without, below, around, above. Let me be the one who turns my cheek when push comes to shove. God's truth still marches on. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of singing the same old songs of war. We need a new song of peace, a song that stirs in us God's truth. that makes us march forth to declare peace, to bring peace with everyone, no matter who they are or where they come from or which side of that border or dividing line or religious line or political line. Whoever, whomever they are, they are our neighbor, and we are called to be their neighbor to whomever they are. And God's truth still marches on, and we sing out that song of peace as we cross the road to help the other. When we change the words of these songs of war and start singing God's peace like, like making swords into plowshares, God's truth will march on, and peace will come in our lives in our hearts, and in this world, may it be so through us, because of us, and among us. Amen. And let us sing this song. The words are on the screen so we can say the truth.